Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, everyone. And welcome to Radio Motherboard. I'm Lorenzo Franceschi Bicherai, and this podcast is part of The Hacks We Can't See, a cybersecurity-focused theme week presented by AIG. Here at Motherboard, we have spent all week exploring the present and future of hacking and cybersecurity. So if you're worried about how your cool new smart fridge and your colorful smart light bulbs could one day lead to real-world disasters, or you want to know more about the hack on the DNC, please go check out all great stories we have published on motherboard.vice.com. This week on Radio Motherboard, we talk to Morgan Marquibois, a malware hunter who knows exactly what you should do to protect yourself on the internet. But first, we went to Hackers on Planet Earth, or HOPE, New York's biannual hacking conference, where we asked people there about the future of hacking and, most importantly, about the one thing they're worried will get hacked in the future. Oh, well, I really don't have any idea. I'm sorry. That's kind of hard to say. I have no idea. I know there's more internet of crap out there. And there's there's like going to be way more attack surface. But as far as the next thing, I have no idea. That's part of the fun, part of the adventure. Um, I have no idea, though. I don't know. That's a, that's a rough question. Uh, maybe a hack of the NSA's database. I don't know. Everything's going to be hacked, and that's part of the problem. Uh, I think one of the things that keeps me up at night is when I think about critical infrastructure. Say, 30 days without electricity or water away from the total breakdown of society. Whether the individual is next door, whether the individual is working for the People's Liberation Army in China or for a criminal enterprise somewhere in the former Soviet Union or Eastern Europe, you, you don't know where it could come from. What worries me? Probably uh, just more breaches uh, akin to the uh, OPM breach. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing. I feel like, unfortunately, Large corporations and government entities are in a very reactive mode as far as um, patching and uh, you know, network security fortifications and that sort of thing, which is frightening. But I guess from the mindset of a uh, suit on a board, you know, you don't spend the money till you have to. I want to see more government websites get hacked. I can also envision a rather nasty form of ransomware where... Um, the individual is shown a message, send five bitcoins to the following address, or this malware will cause the reservoir in your implanted insulin pump to immediately dump itself into your bloodstream. Good luck. Judging by what's been happening sort of currently and in the past, everything else will be internet connected. Every little thing that you imagine right now not being on the internet, someone will put it on the internet. And without the proper... I don't know, safeguards and attention to detail in things we're developing now and things we're 
you know, putting on the internet, such as medical devices, um, someone's going to get hurt. Like someone will, I hope this never happens, but someone could potentially die if something gets hacked, say a medical device, something in a hospital, and it turns off or it quits and there's no protection in there to guarantee that it's going to keep working or you know, no, no adequate protection to protect that device. Craziest hacking thing next 10 years? Uh, I think it might come from biology. Weird stuff grows everywhere. We're getting the ability to control it and manage it. So that one's real spooky because a garage biohacker could come up with something much worse than anthrax or medical medicine-resistant strep. And I sure hope they don't. I hope they come up with the tools to stop those things. What might get hacked in the future? Um, I'm, I'm personally interested in how people might hack blockchain-based uh, structures. Um, and I think that that's uh, something that can absolutely happen, even though we've been told that it can't. Well, I'm not worried. I'm an anarchist, so I want to see uh, everything on fire. So I don't really care. But uh, when, when I think about biohacking, maybe some people can do some very bad stuff, like creating viruses to destroy the humanity. And this is what concerns me a lot. Uh, craziest thing to get hacked? Pretty much everything at this point. I mean, like... The key thing is that we keep on seeing things become more vulnerable as time goes on because people are not taking the right precautions with a lot of their things. So most of the time, it's just information leakage more than anything. It's not necessarily hacking. It's just human stupidity more than anything. Uh, I mean, we've already seen uh, remote shutdowns of Internet-connected vehicles, uh, and I... <laughs> I suspect we'll see things somewhat more dramatic than that in the foreseeable future, especially as this becomes standard in control of homes and uh, more widespread public transit uses. Um, I mean, we've already got um, robotic limbs. We've already got... Um, there, there was one talk from earlier today, oh, yesterday, where they were talking about uh, rats implanted with, with um, brain interfaces, and they activated and deactivated certain neurons just by shining a light through a little fiber optic cable. So the technology is already there. It's possible, it's working, and it's going to make the leap to humans. So I, I would say it's very possible. And I mean, social engineering is just, uh, it's hacking um, without the digital component. And the digital component is, is gonna be here soon. I expect everything will be hacked, sooner or later. So here with me, we have a uh... Morgan Marquis-Boar, and by here with me, I mean on the other side of the continent, but still, for all intents and purposes, right here. And we're really excited to have you, Morgan, uh, and just to introduce you, Morgan is the Director of Security at First Look Media. He also writes for The Intercept, and uh, is a Senior Researcher and Technical Advisor at Season Lab. Uh, before going to First Look Media, Morgan was also was working at Google, where he basically hunted down government malware and did all kinds of fun stuff. So yeah, if you're scoring at home, Morgan is protecting journalists that do really like high-risk work uh, and investigative journalism, and also activists and dissidents uh, targeted by all kinds of shitty governments around the world. So Morgan, how paranoid are you because of this? <laughs> you mean me personally? 
Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's all sorts of glib things I could say. You know, it's not paranoia if they're really out to get you and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but I mean, <laughs> honestly, I, I guess, you know, I've sort of spent a bunch of time um, assessing risk. I think that, you know, obviously I do a variety of things in order to you know, maintain a, a reasonable security posture based on the risks that I face. I think it's 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 worth thinking about you know what what you're trying to do, um, and and sort of how 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 you can still perform the job that you, that you're supposed to, while acting in and operating in a manner that is sort of safe and reasonable. I have met and talked to people that are paralyzed by by, by sort of paranoia, um, you know, which makes it very difficult for them to actually do, do do the things that they want to do, which are the reasons why they're paranoid anyway. Um, so, for instance, you know, when when I'm when I'm sort of trying to assist journalists and that sort of thing, you know, it's, it's worth keeping in mind that their, um, you know, primary raison d'etre is actually to to write um, mm-hmm. and, and to, to investigate and to research. Uh, and so, for instance, you know, trying to come up with you know protocols, procedures, techniques, and environments in which uh, people can actually do the things that they're supposed to while staying safe is, is something that I spend a lot of time focusing on. I, I think it's, it's difficult for me to sort of assess, you know, how, how, how paranoid I am. I mean, I, I guess that's, um, I, I guess I don't feel that I'm particularly paranoid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, I think that's probably a good thing. Because as you said, like, it's, you don't want your security concerns to paralyze you. And actually, so I was curious, like you said, that you've talked to a lot of people where that actually that happens. I'm curious, you know, without obviously naming names or anything like that, what's the, you know, uh, sort of like weirdest um, scenario that you've ever encountered or person that, you know. You're dredging up a lot here, Lorenzo. <laughs> um, I mean, I I frequently get contacted by by people that have all sorts of security concerns. And I mean, this this has been happening for many years and I have been contacted by people that have security concerns which are presented in scenarios which I find difficult to countenance. Um, There have been emails which have suggested mind control scenarios using technology which will alter brainwaves and that type of thing. Um, And I mean, obviously it it is very difficult I, I have I have compassion for people that have, have have communicated with me about these types of things and that they sound very unhappy. Uh, it is it is very difficult for me to figure out how I can help them uh, in, in a useful manner. I think less extreme versions of that do do present themselves to me regularly, and uh, there are people that ha- that sort of contact me that have very real security concerns in very dangerous environments. I think something that occurs commonly is that people frequently receive advice which isn't pertinent to the threats that they're actually facing. Um, you know, p- probably the most common version of that is, you know, pe- people give a given, you know, ad- advice which assumes that they are being targeted by a, a vast and well-funded adversary that is specifically interested in them right now, mm-hmm. um, which is not always the case uh, when, I, when I've actually talked talk to these people. Uh, and so, I mean, I think sort of accurately modeling the threats you face um, is actually very important for coming up with sort of sane security planning. For instance, if, if you are working on human rights situation in you know, countries in the Middle East, then you are not necessarily worried about the, you know, the Chinese government may not be your greatest problem and so on and so forth. So I think, I think having a reasonably accurate understanding of 
the the risks that you face and, and how to deal with them. So sort of avoids avoids that type of paralysis. I, I think one of the reasons why the type of advice that I mentioned to you is prevalent is because that you know, as humans, we're not actually particularly great at assessing threat. You know, we're we're actually very worried. I think about that which is novel and visceral rather than that which is likely. You know, I, I mean, I think that, you know, we, we, we kind of see this with regard to, you know, media, for instance, you know, reports a lot on, on, on what is novel and, mm-hmm. you know, what, what people will read. And so, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of people are, for instance, a lot more worried about terrorism than they are about drunk drivers. You know, you, <laughs> they're probably a lot more worried about terrorism than they are about lung cancer or heart disease. Very worried about the the type of threats that they've read on, that they read about on the internet, which, you know, it's because, because these threats are newsworthy. Those threats, however, may not be applicable to their situation. For instance, I am not particularly worried about a tiger team of U.S. and Israeli intelligence destroying my centrifuges because <laughs> I don't have any centrifuges. Um, so it's, it's, not, it's not quite as applicable to me as it might be to people running a nuclear program, for instance. Yeah, I think this is this is a great point, and uh, you know I've learned in my uh, few years uh, covering this um, world that you know whenever you ask someone like you who's an expert um, about how to stay safe or how to stay secure, the first thing that they ask you back is, okay, what's your threat? And and they also use this uh, expression that at the beginning uh, might confuse people, which is threat modeling, right? What's your threat model? Which essentially means like who are you worried about and why you're trying to protect, right? Yeah, I think I think starting with what are you trying to protect and from whom is a really good way of looking at it. And I think in some ways we're natively better at doing that when it comes to non the non-digital. For instance, you know, if I if I said to you, you know, Lorenzo, you, you are well aware that you know the, the world is 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 full of people that possess ninja-like capabilities to break into your apartment in the night. You know, ha- how much time do you do you spend worrying about this? Despite the fact that you probably watch movies all of the time, which contain many outlandish scenarios where people bypass fantastic security measures to steal diamonds, and you know, people with suction cups walk across ceilings and cut through walls, and you know, all, all of this, uh, you know, sort of James Bond stuff. But but this probably doesn't keep you up at night, and I think part of it is because you probably have a realistic understanding of the physical threats that you face, and so. You know, you probably do a variety of sensible things. You know, you keep your door locked. You don't keep all of your money in a box under your bed. Um, you don't post where you live online. But again, you know, you're probably not wildly worried about people breaking into your house in the middle of the night because of the fact that you don't have $2,000 locks and a, and a door made of titanium. Um, reinforced door frame, probably your failure to install sensors around your windows is, is, you know, maybe not something you want to admit to on a security podcast. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. But that's a good point. <laughs> like, uh, um, I mean, what's the... You've got to protect your centrifuges, Lorenzo. Yeah, I have, I have a lot, and but don't tell uh, the nuclear authorities. <laughs> so, so, I mean, again, you know, when I've... When I've talked to sort of other people about, you know, the, the risks posed by hackers, you know, and the, there's, there's that worry that, you know, that they've heard that, you know, it is, it is difficult to write secure software, that uh, software can be prone to vulnerabilities, which they don't fully understand, uh, that, you know, it, 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 is, it, it is possible that their computer could be broken into in a way that they might not notice that would be difficult to detect. Um, 
you know, people get, get, I think it is easy to worry people about these things. And, and that's not to say that these things won't happen. I, I don't mean it's just that at all. However, you know, I, when, when you ask people how they feel about the risk of being beaten up by an MMA champion on the street, uh, you know, they don't find this very credible because they tend not to antagonize people that look as though they might be really good at fighting. Uh, and, and I think in, in, in the same manner, most people aren't necessarily at risk of targeted attacks from very skilled hackers simply because they're not very interesting. And hacking, hacking people does take some time and effort. Um, now, obviously, this, this is not necessarily the same for things like mass surveillance and, and so forth, right? Like, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're aware that many countries in the world have, uh, you know, some type of monitoring apparatus installed, which allows them to, you know, monitor the sort of transaction records of people's phone calls, uh, you know, sort of monitor, at, at least in a cursory manner, people's internet browsing and, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the metadata, as, as, as we commonly discuss it, of, of sort of people's online activities. This type of thing doesn't imply targeting. It is, is simply sort of a generalized information gathering. And it is, it is in some ways easy enough to mitigate against in that you, you can install things like, you know, VPNs or Tor browser and that sort of thing. And they will, they will obscure your activities from passive monitoring. However, the centrifuge attack and, and, and you know, the, the, the highly skilled hacker with zero day, and the, these, these sorts of things are unlikely to happen to you randomly. And, and so, you know, when people ask me what, you know, your average person can do mm-hmm. to protect themselves from black hat hackers, um, you know, I, I, I guess I would counter with, you know, could you provide me, could you use it in a sentence? G- give me a scenario on which your average person is being targeted by blackout hackers. Now, obviously, you know, there are, there are sort of common, common threats that happen commonly, you know, the, the muggers of the internet, if you will, so, you know, stuff like ransomware. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that, that, that sort of stuff is certainly very annoying. Uh, however, it is frequently avoidable with common sense um, and doesn't require you to wave a magic wand. Yeah, and by common sense, you probably um, refer to like using updated antivirus or not opening sketchy emails. Like what's your, I mean, to your, you know, you obviously have a lot of techie friends, but to your, you know, less techie friends that are not targeted by spy, <laughs> spy, spies, what's your like, do you have sort of like a short laundry list of like do this and, you know, don't worry too much about it? Again, it, it depends on what people are trying to do, right? I have a friend, for instance, who uses the, the, the iPad Plus with the keyboard as their primary device now. Um, and, you know, as, as most people are, uh, are aware, you know, I, iOS does a, a sort of reasonable job of, of operating system security in that it is very difficult to run things on it that are not specifically approved by Apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this makes the risk of being hit by man- ransomware drastically reduced. So, I mean, it, she, she would have to encounter a, either a sort of a skilled adversary or I guess be sort of, you know, in- incredibly unlucky in order for, for something, something to go wrong. Um, or, 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 you know, as, as I mentioned, specifically targeted. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, Windows, for instance, does a, an interesting thing with, with smart screen, right? Where, they they throw up alerts and actually make it very difficult for you to run programs that they have never seen being downloaded or run on any other computer. If I have friends that have 
sort of non-specific generalized security worry. Yes, one of the most important things that they should do is, you know, make sure that they install regular updates for their operating systems. You know, most operating systems will attempt to do this for you automatically these days, and so you kind of have to fight them a bit in order to stop them from updating. I think making sure that you know the the security bells and whistles that come with your you know, devices, be they you know laptops or phones or whatever, are turned on is a, is a, a good idea. You know, when, when I talk about common sense, though, I, I generally mean think twice about opening attachments on unsolicited emails. Phishing attacks are very, very common these days. I, I think that you know, if if someone is likely to get themselves into trouble on the internet in an untargeted manner, it is it is likely to be via phishing of some kind. Yeah, I think there's also uh, there's another side of the coin here, which is that both and you know, and I I, I will say mea culpa here. Part of the media. And also the you know the security industry sort of uh, reveres uh, uh, mysterious and like uh, esoteric attacks and you know sophistication and all these words that like make you think about ninjas basically. But at the end of the day, what you should actually be worried about is mostly the trivial, you know, like phishing. I mean, there's someone who said once, you know, give a man a zero day and he'll he'll have access for one day. Uh, teach him to fish, and will he will have access forever. Yeah, I think I, I think that was I think that was a tweet of the Grugs. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I like that a lot, and I, I I have often pondered the preoccupation the security industry has with sort of sophistication over effectiveness. And there's I think there's very obvious reasons for this because you know if, if you're a security researcher, you know what what makes you interested, what gets you out of bed in the morning is, is actually the see, seeing something you haven't seen before, right? Like that's 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 great. That's that's fascinating. Uh, I mean, it, but if you, if you think about how professional actors operate, you know, you kind of want to operate according to the sort of minimum effective dose principle, right? Like, how how little how little of your hand can you tip while still being effective? You actually don't want to display extremely fancy, expensive custom capability when you don't need to. Uh, so simply because it exposes you, and and so operating in as as simple and mundane a manner as you can while being effective makes great operating sense. So, you know, we, you know, and it sort of goes back to, I mean, the, the security industry, you know, is, is frequently interested in, in that, which is, which is novel, interesting or sophisticated, but again, so is the media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a repeat r- reason why, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that isn't reported and it's because, you know, it's not news, Right, that that which happens commonly is is infrequently viewed as newsworthy. Uh, anyhow, like you know, when you talk to journalists, there's a frequently like, well, what what new am I bringing to this? Right, uh, what's what's different about this? Uh, so I, I think I think that you know, sort of both both media and and security are are interested in things that you know happen uncommonly that they haven't seen mm-hmm. before. Why is it different? Why would people want to know about it? Which means that there is you know frequently a lot of the discussion focuses on, you know, novel and uncommon threats. Mm-hmm. Which are also the most unlikely to hit the regular person. I get sent a lot of malware by, you know, people who, who want to know what it is. You know, sort of, you know, journalists, activists, human rights workers, and, and so on. And, 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 you know, 99% of this is ransomware, right? It, you know, if, if you receive a phishing e- email, it is... The chances are that it is ransomware. I get ransomware all the time. I, I mean, sent, sent to me, you know, sort of daily. 
And and I think I mean that that's largely because if you if you look at the business model of sort of organized cybercrime, then you know they 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 will understand metrics, you know, sort of return on effort and that sort of thing, and and you know realize that if they you know send out two thousand phishing emails, their expected return is zero point two five percent at two hundred dollars per extortion in Bitcoin. You know, nets them a profit of you know X, right? Um, and, and this is sort of you know why why this you know, there's this sort of, you know, constant low-level churn of, of, of sort of reasonably untargeted, you know, malware sort of being sent at people. And I mean, it, 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 it can be very frustrating um, as anyone who has ever had their, their sensitive files, you know, <laughs> locked by, by cyber extortionists in, you know, country that's a, a continent away. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, you know, however, you know, you can you can take solace, I guess, in the the feeling that it is just business and not personal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's comforting in any way. Yeah, that's true. And I guess that that sort of like brings a brings me to something that I also wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, leaving the personal side uh, aside a little bit. You know, you've you've been in this world for you know a lot of years since you were a teenager, basically, right? So what's I have uh, gray hairs in my dreadlocks now. <laughs> So it's been a while. So how's the, how's this? You know, how has hacking changed uh, since you were a teenager? You know, going on chat rooms, IRC channels, um, and doing all kinds of weird stuff. Like, what's what's changed in these years? You know, there's a plus a change, plus a meme shows. Uh, there's there's a lot that's changed. There's a lot that's the same. Um, I guess sort of unpacking that kind of non-statement. There's been a rise in the amount of hacking that is done by professionals or for professional reasons. You know, when I, when I was a lot younger, uh, at least the perception was that, you know, the, a, a lot of the hacking that, that, was, that sort of went on online was uh, carried out by, by black hats and, and, you know, non-professional black hats, whereas these days, you know, there is, there is definitely a lot more nation-state hacking occurring. Um, now, I mean, it, I, I've sort of pondered when when this actually began, um, and I think you know, not, not a in, t- in terms of public information, not a bad place to start is to actually look at some of the uh, tools that have been used by some of the best funded nations. Uh, I mean, if you if you look at Region, which is a a Five Eyes targeted. Ex- sort of targeted implant toolkit, um, you know, there's sort of elements of that, that kit that trace back to 2003. Uh, the same with Equation, which was sort of attributed by Kaspersky to the NSA. Uh, similarly, you know, there's sort of precursors to Stuxnet, which look as though they go back to 2003. Um, so, I mean, it, it looks as though, you know, so sometime in the late 90s and the early 2000s, uh, a lot of the sort of well-funded, technologically advanced nations really started to get serious about sort of cyber espionage. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure when it is, but you know, sort of maybe in the mid '90s at the least, there was definitely a feeling, though, that uh, you know the majority of hacking that went online happened online was was sort of done by by hobbyists and you know, groups of sort of hackers per se, rather than you know, nation-state intelligence agencies. Um, you know, and I think actually at that at that time there was a a perception in the 
the hacker seen that in the an insecure internet was a good thing. Um, you mean hackers 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 enjoyed insecure systems because it allowed them to break into things, uh, and I, I think that there was kind of an an inflection point, and I, I I'm stealing this from from Moxie who who said that it, it used to be back in the old days that you know killing bugs was 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 largely viewed by the security scene as a bad thing, um, be, because the majority of hacking was was sort of done by by people he liked versus people he mm. didn't. So, so for instance, you know, the majority of hacking was, you know, done by hackers against the telcos or large corporates. Whereas it, it seems that these days there's been a type of inflection where the majority of hacking is actually done by institutions, be they nation states or organized cybercrime, mm. against individual people. And so that, that there has been, I think, a distinct change in, in how that's worked. Um, you know, sort of, the, I, I guess, the you know, sort of the power dynamics of hacking, if you will. I I think it's reasonable to say, in some ways, that that a lot of hacking is actually more difficult than it used to be. Although I'm not sure I'd go to the wall on that, um, given, given <laughs> that you know, every time I get sent a piece of sort of JavaScript malware uh, with a ham-fisted you know, exhortation to 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 run it on my computer. I I wince a little because I know that this is being sent out because it works, um, and that that people are still clicking on these types of things and people are still getting infected. Um, on the other side of things, by and large, modern operating systems have significantly more advanced security technology than operating systems did twenty years ago, fifteen mm-hmm. years ago. I mean, if you compare the security baked into Windows 10 to the security in Windows XP, there are tens of thousands of security engineering hours difference in this, right? Um, I mean, I'm sure you remember the the good old days of, of Blaster and Slammer and Code Red and Nimda when, you know, wormed Windows vulnerabilities ran riot around the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's been some time since we've actually seen those those types of a trivially exploitable remote execution remote code execution vulnerability in a in a popular web server you know sort of allowing someone with a, a hastily written worm to to sort of crash chunks of the internet i mean I, I remember when slammer took down south korea's internet connection uh because of the amount of udp traffic it generated and i i feel it's been you know some time since we've seen that that sort of thing happen yeah, I don't even I don't even remember what was the last like big news warm. Um, it's it's been years, definitely. Yeah, and I I think that um, you know there's definitely some security engineering that's occurring, which you know provides very real protection. I mean, yeah, you know, the, the the Apple versus FBI case is is a very sort of interesting example uh, where you know it shows, I guess a very genuine desire of law enforcement to coerce, to dissuade uh, large companies from putting in security measures into their products that, that are difficult for law enforcement to break or evade. Um, and, and, I mean, and, that, and that's because, you know, there, there is a, you know, a, a definite effort at the moment, I think, towards 
you know, real security in in certain mass consumed products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not just operating systems; it's also stuff like uh, Chrome. I mean, Chrome is w- one of the safest uh, pieces of software you can run. It has sandbox, which means that the code should not be able to escape from. Um, you know, even if you hack Chrome, it's hard to hack into the computer. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. There's uh, baked-in anti-phishing protections. Uh, They block websites that they suspect are uh, malicious. I mean, there's, you know, compared to Internet Explorer, it's basically like going from horse carriages to Ferraris, right? And and, and depending on what you're actually doing... you might actually be protected by multiple sandboxes on Chrome. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, they 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 take uh, you know exploit mitigation very very seriously. Like regular applications that people use these days, like Chrome or you know their mobile phone as apps, and even like operating systems like Microsoft uh, Windows and Mac OS X are way more secure these days than ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> There's obviously nuance in all things, right? Like there is, um, you know, an increasing amount of software being used in in areas that, you know, traditionally perhaps weren't software driven. I mean, the the you know, cars is a really good one. I mean, like uh, you know, Miller and Valasek's car hack. I'm sure you know was you know very very chilling to to many people, and the the amount of software used in medical devices and automobiles. Is, is is certainly growing, and I mean these are traditionally things that were mechanical, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and and so sort of weren't weren't open to being remotely hacked, and so I mean obviously there's there's definitely risks currently which which weren't present you know twenty years ago, um, and that's that's definitely you know cause for concern. Uh, I think it's it, you know we we really need to take that type of thing very seriously. Um, on the other side of things, the the security industry is a lot larger than it was. Um, security is taken a lot more seriously than it was, um, and I, I think in general the security knowledge of you know the population is slowly increasing. Uh, certainly, with the generation of people that have grown up online, I think there's a far greater understanding of the need for privacy and security. Um, I mean, I, I remember when I was. Just, just getting into this industry, um, you know, it, it, it just—it really wasn't a very mainstream concern. Um, whereas I think now a lot of people—I mean, I think especially post, you know, sort of Snowden disclosures and Apple versus FBI and that, that, that type of thing—you um, know, a lot, a lot of these news stories have meant that, you know, sort of understanding of security and an interest in security is definitely a lot higher than it was. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely think that the the general quality of security journalism has increased markedly since the uh, the early to mid nineties. Yeah, and yet there's a, still a lot of people that uh, believe that we're sort of, 
you know, doom and gloom and, you know, there's talks about cyber 9-11 and I don't even want to, like, ask you about that because it's too silly. But there's a, you know, I, I'm there's pretty this sure piece it's a cyber pearl hub, you know, you gotta, you gotta get your catastrophes yeah, right. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think sometimes people have used also Cyber 9-11, but yeah, I think per, Cyber Pearl Harbor was the most popular one, which makes it maybe even more dumb. But but yeah, the, there's this piece that I kind of really like, and I know you don't agree on this, but um, journalist Quinn Norton um, a couple of years ago wrote this piece titled Everything is Broken, and it's obviously an hyperbole, and she would admit it uh, herself, but essentially her argument was that computers were not uh, made with security in mind, the internet was not made with security in mind, and it's just inevitable that it's going to get worse. Do you think, what do you think about that? I mean, is that too nihilistic? Is that too pessimistic? It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't say I didn't like the piece. I, I obviously enjoyed reading it. Um, and I, I mean, I think that, you know, Quinn, Quinn brings up some really great points in it. Um, I, I, I do think that, you know, I mean, obviously the, the kind of everything is broken thing is, uh, yeah, so, so I mean, I, I enjoyed the piece. Um, as you said, there's some obvious hyperbole going on there, though. Um, I mean, the, the fact that all software is imperfect isn't, isn't, isn't entirely revelatory or, or cause for, for, for shocking concern. Uh, in that, uh, you know, <laughs> there are very few things that we've designed and built that have been created, um, you know, with an entirely security forward thinking for instance i mean the um you know c cars still get stolen people's houses still get broken into um i i think it, i mean m much of this does have to do with the nature of computer design right in that you know initially you know, com computers were designed as you know, sort of general purpose computing right which means that you actually want them to be able to perform arbitrary operations on arbitrary input um, you want people to be able to create programs for them. Um, now, I mean, I think, I think you know, that in, in some ways, we actually are moving a little bit away from the, the, the freedom to tinker type of movement. Um, in, in that, for instance, you know, the, the, the popularity of the iPhone, which is very much a wall garden. Um, without jailbreaking it, you can't install arbitrary software on it. You can't get the device to do anything you want, um, you know. It's a very curated, hermetically sealed experience that Apple is giving you. And as it turns out, people like it because it makes them feel safe. Uh, you know, so maybe we're sort of moving towards a gentrification of the internet. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. It's a sort of very, very, very sort of popular idea or popular discussion these days. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, you know, everyone is, is screwed. Is 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 a little hyperbolic and, and a little nihilistic. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. And that I am. Um, the, the internet is, is currently, um, you know, has sort of become the global commons, right? Uh, this is, this is where a staggering amount of, uh, commerce, uh, social narrative occurs. Um, I think it facilitates many of the, I mean, not to mention, you know, sort of online dating and, uh, and, and sort of how, how people communicate, stay in touch. I, I, I think that, you know, a lot, a lot of this happens without, you know, people, people feeling that the internet is necessarily an insanely dangerous place. I, I mean, obviously, people with with vast resource and motivation can uh, perform you know, attacks that would be very, very serious. Um, 
and and, and part of that is 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 you know the nature of how computers and and, and software design worked. Um, but but there's. These are, again, security has progressed in a lot of ways. You know, most modern operating systems come with sort of encrypted disks by default. There's all sorts of you know memory corruption mitigations that are in place to you know try to try to prevent you know bugs that that, that used to work no longer do, um, and you know so so, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, so you know, I. <laughs> I, I think that you can you could you can read it in a variety of different ways, um, and it, and it, it honestly you know it depends on sort of who and what you're worried about. I think I think many of the concerns that people have currently are, are not software security concerns, but actually data privacy concerns. Uh, they're mm-hmm. they're worried about about giving their data to third party companies and they're worried about what these companies are actually doing with their data um, rather than the the sort of the security of the software that they're actually running um, mm-hmm. you know which I, which I think is because because it's actually very confusing to people and, and that you know sort of many of the services that you know hundreds of millions of people use every day are you know functionally free and so you know there's that old web 2.0 dictum which is that if you're not paying for it, then you are the product. And, and this is, of course, how you know Facebook and Google actually you know fund the you know array of popular services that they provide is that they they sell advertising and, and, and sort of targeted advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I think there's been a lot of discussion these days about the type of internet experience that people actually want to have. Uh, you know, what they feel comfortable revealing, how they feel. How comfortable they feel with it being used in in that sort of manner, um, and I mean, I think I think that's that's actually a very, uh, I think that's probably a discussion that, you know, people um, that sort of looms very very highly in people's minds. I'm not I'm not entirely sure how how worried your, you know, average internet user is about the exploitability of the software that they're using, um, and. I mean, I'm I'm not entirely sure that that most internet users should actually have to understand memory corruption vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't I don't think that that's that that's likely to happen. Yeah, because um, yeah, also they can't really do anything about it. So. Let, let's you know if we, if we take this back to the mid '90s, right? Like, um, I think I think sort of security of of platforms and, and sort of you know. Um, and I, and I mean this not specifically like security of operating systems, but I mean security of platforms in terms of platforms like Google and Facebook, uh, but also you know sort of Apple and, and, and Microsoft, Amazon. I think this has actually taken a lot more seriously than it was many many years ago, and that most of these companies will employ you know at least hundreds of security people um, in order to try to make the environment kind of you know safe for for for, for people that are, that are that are trying to use it with varying degrees of success, obviously. Yeah, I think that even as a journalist, I haven't been following this obviously since the '90s, but it just seems like it's harder to um, come by, you know, major bugs. Uh, you know, when was the last time that Facebook and Google were hacked? I mean, we're talking about years ago, and you know, in the case of Google, it was China, so it wasn't exactly you know a teenager bored in his bedroom at 4 a.m. So, but what's so what's what keeps you up at night? I mean, maybe it's not the world of software. Maybe it's what you, as you hinted, you know, connected cars, maybe critical infrastructure. Is that something that is actually more worrisome? What keeps me up at night? Um, 
I worry a bunch about internet-connected medical devices. Um, I, I, I worry a lot about, about self-quantification, actually. Um, you know, I, I, I happen to, I mean, as anyone who's ever been a gym bunny knows, um, you know, like measuring progress, constantly weighing itself and that sort of thing is, 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 is sort of very, very appealing because you kind of want to see what the effects of all of this investment of time are. And so you've got people, you know, sort of um, all sorts of wearable devices, Fitbits, iWatches, and that sort of thing. And, you know, they, they track your steps, they track your heart rate, you know, frequently they track your location and that type of thing. Um, and I think it's, it's, it, that's actually, you know, the, the self-quantification movement is becoming sort of increasingly popular. Um, but I, 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 do, I, do, I do worry a little about, um, you know, how, how that data is exposed and, and, and sort of what's being done with it. And I think that we're going to start seeing, you know, the first... I mean, it, it, it seems very much uh, to me like your Fitbit might be able to uh, reveal if you were having an affair, for instance. So, I mean, I, I think it's going to be very interesting when we start seeing that type of, of data that's being collected and stored online used in, in things as mundane as divorce cases. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, th- there is definitely you know, a trend towards generating more and more data um, and of course, the the with the increased professionalism of of hackers online, um, you know, we've seen we've seen some very large data bre- breaches. You know, Ashley Madison and you know, sort of OPM and that sort of thing um, that have have leaked personal people's you know sort of personal information, a personally identifiable information, or sort of details about their personal activities that they might otherwise have wanted mm-hmm. to keep private. Um, so I mean I, I I do spend a bunch of time sort of worrying about about that sort of thing. Um, I mean I p- perhaps perhaps part of it is because you know I find um, you know uh, like many geeks I I have uh, a shiny gadget problem and so I find buying them and playing with them very very appealing. Um, but then of course you know you know you end up having those conversations with your friends where they're like. But you care about privacy. I can't believe you're wearing eight self-quantifying devices right now. I'm like, but they're so shiny, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a funny disconnect. It's like the, you know, when I spoke to the the guy that owns the fam- now famous inter- uh, Twitter account, the Internet of Shit, I was actually very surprised that he owns a bunch of them. Oh, you know, if you read his Twitter account, yeah, if you read his account, it seems like. He would be the last person to buy a smart light bulb, but he was like, "Oh no, no, I have like, <laughs> right? light bulbs." <laughs> One of them, the only thing that does is like change colors if I tell the tell it to, and I only wanted it because I thought it would be cool when you when I bring dates ho- home to be able to change colors from my smartphone. And it's you know we're all like you know see we're all like concerned about privacy, but we're all like like shiny objects as you say, well, we like shiny services, convenience. And I think stuff. I think you know without being. You know, quite as glib as as we were being there. Um, there's there's also a an almost coercive lure to the technological influence on the social narrative. In that, for instance, you know, it, it used to be very 
you know, it used to be very feasible, for instance, that you would not carry a cell phone. Like a cell phone is a very interesting device in that I think a lot of people feel that they have a certain sort of close relationship with their cell phone because, because of the sort of the physical proximity to it. It's, it's a device that you carry around with you all the time. You know, studies have shown that, you know, people, it is very common for people to look at their cell phone, you know, in excess of like maybe 200 times a day. It's the thing that they look at first when they wake up in the morning. Um, and, and this is a device that, you know, tracks your movements everywhere. Uh, it, 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 it sends this to a, a, a third party. Um, and I, I remember sort of talking about this many, many moons ago with, with colleagues. And, you know, a friend of mine sort of saying somewhat glibly, you know, that's like, <laughs> why would I want to carry around the, this tracking device? I, I barely trust the operating system manufacturers of the device. I definitely don't trust the hardware manufacturers with closed source baseband. Um, there's, you know, at least two or three operating systems on this device that I, I don't really understand what they're doing. Um, and I, I definitely don't trust the providers, the, the cellular, um, provide, you know, uh, uh, mobile communications companies that are actually, you know, providing this service to me. So there's, there's just this little sort of massive stack of lack of trust and things that I don't like about the whole mobile game. Um, but if you, if you think about how difficult it would be to decide to not have a mobile phone these days, I mean, could, could, could you get a job? Um, you know, like I think prospective employers don't want to hear that you think that a mobile phone is a bad privacy proposition, right? They just want you to be able to pick up the phone mm -hmm. when, they, when they call you. Um, and I, and I, I think in, there, are, there are similar... There's sort of some similar things going on with social media in some ways in that I think... You, you can you can decide that you're not going to use Facebook or, or, or Twitter. Um, having said that, you you do knowingly lock yourself out of a certain part of the social narrative, and that this is this is where a lot of people go to post information about events. It's it's a kind of passive way of absorbing information about your friends. Um, and so, I mean, if, if I think about like the last time I was invited to someone's birthday party via an email, as opposed to you know the, the sort of the default these days seems to be to just sort of create an event on Facebook and then you know, invite everybody. And so, I mean, I think. You know, there, there, are, there are ways in which, you know, our adoption of technology has shaped social narratives, which means that if you simply want to opt out of them, then in many ways you're opting out of how a certain social discussion happens in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, how many of your friends are not even on Facebook? I, I think I have like maybe one. And cell phone is even worse. Like, I only know one person that doesn't have a cell phone. I don't know if I, we can dox her, but it's amazing. You know, like, who doesn't carry a cell phone with themselves all the time these days it's it's like you know it's second nature as you said but so so yeah i think uh, we're going to wrap up soon maybe i i think uh, given this week i have to ask you this one last question um what do you think about the dnc hack since it's the talk of the town this yeah week? I, I mean I, I think it's i think there's some, some really interesting things about it um i mean i think i think obviously the the timing um yeah, the timing of of the hack and the I mean the, the nature of the target means it's obvious you know there's it's obviously a very political hack during a particularly intense uh, primary and election season. You know, a lot of a lot of feelings are running very strong, uh, which I think the the it's the the sort of information disclosure nature of of this campaign, and, and I guess also the the, the potential inf disinformation uh, campaign that that sort of you know occurred occurred next to it that 
that I think makes it particularly noteworthy. I mean, th this isn't straight up intelligence gathering, right? Like this isn't, you know, sort of breaking into an organization with the intention of sort of, you know, stealing the information and, and sort of being as, as subtle and clandestine as possible. You know, this information was, was released and, you know, it appears by, by Russian state actors, uh, with, with intention to influence, uh, US elections, which I think is, is, is very interesting. I mean, I'm not sure that's happened in, in, in the West before. Um, yeah, it's definitely not happened by by hacking and leaking, uh, or hacking or leaking hacking data. Yeah, I mean that's probably the red line that I think cool. this this brings up some of the 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 early worries that that people had, you know, around electronic voting systems um, and the ability of you know sort of sufficiently motivated and technically sophisticated actors to try to influence elections. Uh, and it, it could be that this is what we're seeing. Yeah, it's definitely a big story and. Everyone is talking about it, and I think we'll find more about it probably soon, although I guess we'll never know who was really behind it. But thank you so much. Well, Morgan. we this might... Really fun, we, I was going to say, we, mm -hmm. we might know whether or not people believe it or not is different, right? Um, and and, yeah. and that, I think that the nature of this hack means that you know feelings about the credibility of evidence presented... Uh, fall very heavily on partisan lines. I think, you know, sort of, th there are many people who uh, have not looked at the technical evidence at all who feel that it is, you know, very expedient of the Democrats to blame the Russians at this juncture. Um, you know, sort of conversely, you know, I think that there's, there's been sort of, you know, a certain amount of technical evidence that, that, that suggests that it, that it is the Russians, but, but some people feel that you know, given close ties to the government, CrowdStrike and Mandian are incredible in this aspect. And like, I mean, a, a lot of it is very partisan rhetoric, which I, I also mm -hmm. find very interesting, you know, because it's, it's happening during election season. So, so that, that means that, you know, much of the analysis of these events aren't really about the technical details, but largely about the credibility of the actors involved, uh, which is, is, is very, very interesting. Yeah, it's definitely it's a story that it's just goes beyond the simply like uh, security angle. There's like political angles, as you say. There's like partisan, like you know, Bernie Sanders, pro Bernie Sanders people, pro Hillary, pro Trump. It's it's pretty crazy. But yeah, thank you so much, Morgan. This was really fun. And, My pleasure. Uh, maybe we'll have. Uh, we really appreciate it, and thanks everyone for listening, especially considering that uh, this is probably the first time that Radio Motherboard has two non-American speakers with uh, very heavy accents, so we appreciate that. And um, yeah, thank you so much, everyone. Have a good day. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.